Welcome to Pitch Intensity Fan Entertainment Movie Pitching Podcast, and today we're going a little bit off track with this, but the general idea is we are pitching female-fronted superhero movies with a twist. Uh, we are actually going to be doing a slightly different episode this week. Uh, we're going to do the pitch doctoring session episode. So, uh, oh, sorry, I am always Mike. And I'm always Aaron. So we've been really struggling during lockdown to find inspiration to complete these scripts to the best they can be i don't know whether i'm just speaking for myself here darren oh no you, that's that's my experience as well it's been a slog not because we're not you know interested or invested in these projects it just turns out writing a new superhero movie that's not a sequel is very hard to do if you want to be original so hard and more importantly because well this episode was originally going to be timed with either the release of black widow or um wonder woman mm-hmm. and now both of those movies have been pushed back to the end of the year we're kind of left stranded with this idea i didn't really want to sit on it until november i don't feel like even given the extra couple of months to do it i'm actually really gonna make the best of it on my own so mm-hmm. On the back of the collaborative pitches we've started doing, which you can go back and listen to our first one where we pitch Grand Theft Auto 6 together, Darren came up with the idea to do a pitch doctoring session where we put out our basic idea and see if we can work to improve it. Exactly. It was, well, if neither of us are really getting the most out of what we what we wanted with these pitches, why not work together in order to improve them let's just see if just two brains working on it can come up with something a bit more original and a bit less uh formulaic because i mean the there is that south park episode where putters drives himself insane because every idea he had the simpsons has already done it the new problem is coming up with a new idea that marvel haven't already done to the point where the one i'm going to talk about the character i pitch i only I had two choices when I started doing this. I went with a Marvel idea, but just so consistently came up with a problem of, okay, well, she can do this. Oh, no, wait, they already did that in The Winter Soldier. Or she can do this. And, oh, wait, no, they're going to be doing that in Black Widow. That I, 48 hours ago, I abandoned that and said, look, right, we're going to have to go to DC. There's less, tr- like, you know, trodden ground over there. We might be able to make something work. It's still, in my opinion, horribly generic and derivative but it's at least finished, whereas I couldn't get past the midway point of my other pitch. Awesome. Out of interest, what was the character you were originally doing, or are you saving that for a future pitch? Oh, no, no, that's fine. I was trying to do Spider-Woman. Ah. Because I felt it's uh, it's a superhero that... It was going to be an amalgamation, actually, of two characters. It was like, it was going to be Jessica Drew, who is Spider-Woman, yep. but it was also going to take aspects of the Silk character that they've recently introduced into the comic books who was bitten by the same uh, spider as Spider-Man, but was kind of kept away from society. That's why we didn't know about her, and she's only just been reintroduced into the mythos. I was going to combine aspects of both of those, but my pitch was going to be, the real bare bones of it was going to be that this Jessica Drew would have been the child of two Hydra agents. They, She also got bit by the same spider as Peter, but when she was much younger, when she was about five years old, that's why she's got slightly different powers, because it was, you know... a under much more uh, 
sterilized um, situation than when Peter got bit so that they were able to perfect the process a little bit more. So that's mm. why she can do more than what Spider-Man could. And she'd be sent on a mission that she would kind of fail and therefore Hydra would just keep her under lock and key um, in um, kind of, she, she'd be compliant in the same way the Winter Soldier is, but they've refined the brainwashing system. So it's much more refined and not as brutal as the Winter Soldier one is. She, so she'd be compliant on the mission, she would fail, but she's genuinely a nice person just in a bad situation. She'd be trapped, she'd be kept in the same facility that Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are in in Sokovia. She would escape during the Sokovia attacks, but then her identity would be leaked after what Black Widow did. And even though she's a good person, she'd have to be on the run trying to clear her name because she's been blamed for attacks that appear to be done by her, which would have been fronted by the chameleon who would have been the, the baddie of the group. But I was like, that is so derivative of Civil War. There's a lot of there's a lot of things bit pulled from a lot of films there. Exactly. And every every avenue I was trying to go down because these uh, admittedly all the big female superhero characters have had at least one shot. We were trying to pick characters that have never had that or at least haven't been done for a while or in the current continuity. Yeah. So that meant that I wasn't coming from a place of deep knowledge of these characters where I could really pull something together. It was based on a lot of, you know, reading up on Spider-Woman. And that just meant every avenue I tried to go that was interesting was derivative of either Civil War was a big part of that. There's a lot of stuff like that in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where the, the hard stuff comes into play that I couldn't get away from. So I just said, look, I, I tried for months to get this thing done. and just had to abandon ship. So I've now gone differently. It's still a derivative concept, but I, I think it's less derivative of this because it's DC and there just hasn't been that much covered in dc as compared to what marvel has done yeah now who went first last time uh oh god what was the last pitch episode it was the uh good question oh you went first because it was the it was the playstation 5 pitch yes it was you are right you went first because you gave horizon zero dawn away um it was the only (laughs) obvious choice but i was still annoyed so it's my (laughs) turn to go first it is um so we're gonna have to do this over 20 minutes just because both of us have got to get pictures out whereas when we did the gta one we did it over Mm -hmm. half an hour Yep. First 10 minutes is probably going to be me explaining the concept, and then we'll have 10 minutes worth, if needed, of surgery onto that concept. Cool. So shall I set a timer for 10 minutes and you talk me through your movie? Please do. I'm probably going to you know, save it for 20 because I'm probably going to get – it's not going to take me 10 minutes to get through this. But if I hit 10 minutes, just uh, give me a poke. Okay, not a problem. In that case, a timer for 20 minutes is starting now. So – Obviously, we want to expand the amount of super women available to the Justice League as we only have Wonder Woman at the moment. They are introducing Catwoman in The Batman, but we have no idea what continuity that sits in. So no, I'm going to touch that. This is going to be set in the same Wonder Woman Justice League pre-established one. And we're going to do Zatanna. Cool. It, it was my second choice and I felt is it's a slightly more interesting character than Spider-Woman. But I just, yeah, I tried that first because the problem with Zatanna is how do you make it Doctor Strange 2? But we've a woman this time. Mm. and i i've kind of got there i think it's a bit of a generic plot that i'm not overly happy with but that's why we're doing the surgery so satana is the daughter satana will be played i've only partially cast it she's gonna be played by someone called annie annie murphy you may not have seen her she's the daughter in schitt's creek right um i i think she's we're gonna be going with like a slightly ditzy not ditzy um so she's grown up in, in wealth because her dad is a famous magician. So yeah. she's going to be she's going to play a little bit of the high life. Um, and uh, she, she's she's got good range, Annie Murphy, where she's 
usually playing like this socialite girl in Chits Creek, but then she has moments of genuine like personal growth. It's quite nice to see when the when the uh, the front comes down kind of thing. She's going to be my Zatanna. Uh, she's the daughter of Giovanni Zatara, who I just in my head I picked him. I saw a picture of him and just pictured him as Antonio Bandera. So that's who's going to be playing him. Um, he's the world's most famous magician. And uh, her mommy is called Cindella, but she was brought up by her father because Cindella died shortly before, shortly after uh, Zatanna was born. Um, she has been brought up as Giovanni's apprentice for years, um, and she trains alongside someone called Nick Nolan, who is her father's ward, taken in after his parents' death, who were also in the magician circuit kind of thing. Um, so these two, it's not like he's adopted her, he's not their stepbrother or anything, but they're kind of, yeah, they've grown up together. Um, the pair appear in Giovanni's touring shows, his assistants, um, but in full disguise, they're under masquerade hats and top hats. Um, so we kind of see it at the height of Giovanni's fame in like the, the, uh, the eighties, nineties, but that's now kind of been dwindling because the world has moved on from magic tricks and they've done that because superheroes turned up. Why would you go and watch stage magic and all that stuff? If people can already fly through the air and shoot laser beams. So magic has become a bit passe and a bit past it. So it's kind of a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of see, we see that decline of like him playing really big shows, but now he's playing like off Broadway theaters in Gotham. Um, and we see him at a particularly rough show. It's not going well. The audience is kind of half in a half full, half full theater is kind of not really caring about this act anymore. And Giovanni is challenged by like a drunk guy in the crowd. He like gets on the stage and says, you're not really magic. You know, Superman can, fly what the fucking you do and he says okay and he puts him in like a the box where you would normally get sawn in half but this time he said i'm not going to put any cover on i'm just going to saw you vertically in half does so and then kind of moves the boxes around you can still see the guy's face and he's screaming and it's quite clearly that two parts of him moving apart and then he gets put back together and the crowd like erupts into applause but zatanna knows like that's not like a practical magic trick what the she cannot figure out how that illusion has been done mm. this is the point where the vow kind of comes down and giovanni reveals that he zatanna and nick uh, nolan are all homo magi they are actual wizards um the tricks she has been performing as like part of his stage and she helps out with a few of the tricks whilst the show's going on has been a way to her to like hone her magical abilities She's been saying the spells, but she's just thinking that it's like practical magic that's happening, whereas it's actual magic. And she, the, the show is like a front for her to kind of hone her skills before the big reveal that she is actually magic. So that's not like a big, you know, learning curve for her. She's already been learning it since a young age. Um, however, yeah, Nick has is still part of the show, but he isn't actually magic. That's why he's been known as the that none of the things his parents were, but he just hasn't shown any magical ability whatsoever. Although both his parents were very powerful magicians. Um, around this time, impossible crimes start to happen, and they're being pulled off by a person calling himself Mr. E. Genuine bad guy from the Zatanna, like, rogues gallery. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. E will be played by Conliff Hill, a.k.a. Varys from Game of Thrones. Because cool. he just looks like a, a magician. Uh, <laughs> So he's putting off like impossible heists, basically. Um, entire wings of museums are disappearing. Safes are being cleared out without ever being opened. Uh, and Giovanni encourages Zatanna to look into these activities, warning her that Mr. E is also a homo magi. 
and maybe looking for a forbidden item. Um, where has that gone? A forbidden artifact called the White Flame, which has the user's huge magical powers. Um, Giovanni would look into it himself, but he's actually been isolated from the rest of his community, from his tribe. Um, revealing your powers to humans is outlawed in Helmo Magi culture after things like the Salem witch trials and stuff like that. Um, so he he wanted to become a magician and kind of hide the fact that he's using real magic as then use the magician show as a front for that. And that kind of got him, in his words, that got him banished from Homo Magi society. Um, so he couldn't risk the retaliation um, should Mystery be acting on behalf of the Homo Magi that he would get. But Satana and Nick have all masked on stage. No one knows what they look like. They're capable of kind of following me and seeing what's what. We see Zatanna and Nick on like a crap stakeout, uh, listening on police radios that Zatanna has tuned the car radio to pick up on, waiting for anything weird or strange then to come up. Their bond, it's more of a fraternal thing, not mm. romantic. That's not the route we're going down. I, I kind of picture in my head of the relationship between Leslie Nope and uh, Ron Swanson in Parks and Rec, where they're two people of different genders working very closely together, but there is zero romantic tension there <laughs> whatsoever not a thing um so uh they find i haven't cast nick nolan by the way um they don't find mr e but instead find killer moff trying to rob a bank now i mentioned in my booster gold pitch that i would have killer moff as like a recurring villain in some of these movies like a bit shit uh he's played by he's in full killer moff zany costume he's played by ben schwartz um nice. so i'm bringing him back here i'm not saying that i'm now counting the booster moff Booster Gold uh, movie I pitched as canon, but I can also do that. Um, so the Zatanna approach to magic that's going to differentiate from Doctor Strange, which is very mythical and like a lot of glowing lights and a lot of these things. This is going to be magic as if it's... So imagine if Doctor Strange was attacking uh, whatever, that Kaecilius, with like magic magic, like what we've come to see as magic in magic shows. Yeah. So, for example, I'll give you some examples. Oh, that's just lost my place. Uh, there we go. So, she says her spells backwards, which has, um, the magic is kind of done in Zaytana anyway. And it's more theatrical. So, say um, Killamoff starts throwing furniture at her, it just pops out of the way like a big bubble. It inflates and goes in a big comedic way. Um, <laughs> she's turning guns into flowers. If someone starts shooting at she like falls backwards into a cupboard and then appears out of a different cupboard in the room. It's that type of stuff. It's very theatrical is what we're going for here. That's going to be the differentiation. It's not all these like ancient hand symbols and all this stuff. It's more wacky. Um, so it's all going well until Killer Moth kind of stumbles over a little bit and manages to drop an entire ceiling on top of her. She's trying to escape, but she's kind of pinned under the rubble. A white, blurry vision appears in front of Zaytana, talking her through how to escape. She manages to do it and gets back to Giovanni. Giovanni asks about the vision, seems to, concerned about it, but like dismisses it and says you need to push on with capturing, uh, with finding out more about mystery. He, she does eventually find mystery, but loses handily to him. Uh, Giovanni has to help her escape. Um, Giovanni kind of berates her for like saying, you've been training for this for years. You didn't know you've been training for this years, and mystery beat you. No problem. What's that about? Um, uh, Zotana gets so angry at this, she recklessly kind of goes after Mystery again, loses again, and Mystery is about to kill her this time, but only for Nick's latent powers to kind of wake up 
and he saves her. He easily overwhelms Mystery and his minions. It's quite obvious he's not in control of what's happening, but he's easily defeating the villains. They're all like pinned back, can't do anything. And he manages, even though he like passes out from the like concentration of trying to get this magic done, he managed to teleport him and Zaytana back to safety and teleports everyone else to like Australia, the other side of the world. Mm. Um, Giovanni's amazed by this and tells Nick that there is a way they can potentially take mystery out for good. He tells him of an ancient trial for only those with immense magical power. And it seems like Nick, you know, is the son of his parents after all and does have great magical power. It just took a while to wake up, but there's no time they need to go and do this trial right now. Uh, Zatanna wants to help, but Giovanni is angry of her for disobeying him and going after Mystery again and forbids her from coming. Of course, she does find a way to follow and watches as Nick is led into a room with the white flame in the middle, the doohickey we mentioned earlier. It's mm. behind like a magical force field veil type of thing. Giovanni says it's only dangerous in the wrong hands if he and Nick would you he he and Nick if they can possess the white flame could use it to imprison Mystery uh, before putting it back in its kind of magical protection. So he t- says, Nick, like, you're the one with the most immense magical powers. You try and touch it. You try to put your hand through the veil, take hold of the white flame. It will come, come into your body and you will have this massive immense power. Nick kind of starts touching the veil, but then immediately starts screaming from the pain. Giovanni, you know, eggs him on, says, look, just power through it. You can do this. He carries on reaching, but the second he touches the white flame, he just disappears. Gone. The veil's gone and the white flame is just burning brighter than it was previously. Giovanni grabs the white flame before being confronted by his daughter. She tries to attack him for like what happened to Nick, and he's just like, it doesn't concern you. She tries to attack her dad, but he's easily restrained by Mr. Ree, who has now reappeared in the room. He and Giovanni were in cahoots the whole time, um, Lung trying to find someone strong enough to bypass the magical protection around the white flame. Uh, in the comics, they're known as the Cult of the White Flame. The, the, they're actually after a magical book, but that's boring, so I've turned into an actual white flame they're after. Cool. Uh, he sacrificed his wife, Zaytana's mom, to this to try and get it in the first place, and both of Nick's parents to it. They all just died, and the veil and the protection stayed in place. Um, he was trying to flush out magical people by having mystery kind of stages, attacks, and use it as a proving game because he thought Zaytana was the key. But Nick was the one that saved him in the end, so they used him instead to kind of enact this. Uh, and that's why he was actually banished from the tribe um he uh, giovanni wanted this power originally because he he wanted them to be out he wanted you know wizards to take their rightful place as you see most of these movies kind of a magneto type of thing of like why are we subservient to them we're much more powerful than them. we shouldn't have to hide if we use the white flame we can use their powers to not necessarily destroy all the humans but at least come out Mm. Now he wants to use that white flame to get rid of superheroes and then replace them. People are used to weird and wonderful things showing up in the world anymore. Does it really matter if they're magical creatures? He can come up with some backstory to explain it away. He just wants himself to be in charge now. He's going to use that white flame to get rid of the superheroes and then supplant them. Um, So, uh, where was I? Sorry. That's where he's banished. Uh, He's now going to go and enact the evil, evil plan. Zatanna's kind of stuck still. She can't escape. The white blurry vision appears again. This time it's kind of a bit more clearer. And it's quite clearly her mother, Cindela, um, who's talking to her from a kind of magical purgatory created by the flame. Anyone who tries to touch it is kind of stuck there. Mm. Um, she tells her that 
Giovanni had pure intentions when he first tried to get the flame, but her the, her death has kind of twisted him, and the white flame is only going to exacerbate that. It's too powerful for any one person to kind of have hold of, and he's already going into a dark place. This is only going to make it worse. She kind of talks Zaytana through escaping. Zaytana would confront her dad, who is trying to create chaos in Gotham to draw out Batman and other superheroes, members of the Justice League, so he can take them out. So it's kind of like what you pitch for your Mysterio Spider-Man pitch back in the day. He's like creating demons. He's creating all these horrible things that people are seeing. Um, I mean, they're real, not an illusion. Um, but Zaytana would, of course, rise up and defeat him. And I haven't really gone into detail about this. She would use her powers to fight him, take the white flame from him and put it back into uh, storage. Uh, I have actually got a post-credit scene. It should be, you would see, Mystery would escape from the final battle basically unharmed and would find a way to resurrect Nick Nolan, who would then be known as Nick Necro, as he is known in the comic books as a bad guy. Mm. So he would kind of this, like, be a shell of who he formerly was. He's just kind of this being of the white flame. He's just evil. That's my Zaytana pitch. It's horribly derivative of Doctor Strange. And, does, and there's some elements of Black Panther in there as well, yeah. with the whole the whole rights and heritage and coming out of the shadows and that. Yeah, but and the Voldemort it's... thing of like, why are we subservient to them? Why don't we come out against it, etc. It's just there's so it's pulling from so many things, and that's why I kind of tailed off at the end of like, oh, it's just it's, there'd just be a big magic battle, but there's been so many. How do you make it new? But well, yeah, I, that was but, my idea. But I really enjoyed the twist of making her father evil. I thought that was awesome. I really mm-hmm. liked that. I think that would actually spice up a lot because we've not had many um, many superhero stories where it's like, I mean, we've had it. So, so like, you, you get Bucky, and Bucky's evil, but he's not actually. There's yeah. not where it's been like you've been deceived the whole time. I, I think that it's it's it is a little bit played out, but also when done right, it can be really quite shocking. Yeah, I th- I'm trying to think as a, as a has a parent ever been evil in, in any of the MCU or, or DCU movies? I mean, you could argue that the the Odin did some fucked up shit, but he's not evil. No, he's not the bad guy of the movie, is he? So, I mean, there's been bad siblings, there's been bad parental figures, but not actual parents, so to speak. So, you got that going for it. Um, it's got it is a retooling because I mean, like I said, they were after a magical book, but I'm like, that's literally what Kaecilius was trying to get in Doctor Strange. So it can't be a magical book. It's no. gonna have to actually be a white flame, but. I, I just I think it's terribly generic. Uh, yeah, um, the White Flame is a bit MacGuffin-y. and I yeah. know I know the Nick character has such a key role in your pitch, but I can't help thinking that that should be John Constantine. It's you know John Constantine is a big part of the of that. They're actually a love triangle in the in the comic books. Him, Nick Nolan, and, and Zaytana. But I felt because John Constantine, I, I, you know, he's very much been on the DCU. I feel like that's someone you could kind of maybe either introduce in this film and then flesh out more in the sequel or just introduce in the sequel. Yeah. But I, I, because I wanted the dad to be evil, I did also then want the the Nick to be evil. I wanted that character saved as like the bad guy for the second one. And that's yeah. why I didn't want it to be romantic. I wanted it to be more paternal because, mm. so uh, fraternal, because I wanted them to kind of, She's got to pull him back from the edge in the sequel, kind of thing. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't 
if it was a fuller pitch, I think I would have gone more into like what who she is as a character. Because I picture her kind of like she's young, she's like maybe late twenties type of thing. I want to make her like quite different to what Wonder Woman is, who's very stoic, very serious, very straightforward. I wanted to make her more because she's kind of new to the world. I think that would be kind of help. But I wanted to be a much more positive character, not like Shazam levels goofy but just more lighthearted. You know, she grew up as a magician. She dresses as a magician in a goddamn top hat. She's not taking herself too seriously. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so that was my idea. Again, I only came up with that in 48 hours. So it's not my worst work considering the limited time. Oh, hell no. I just, I feel like I didn't want to have that as a normal pitch episode because I'm not overly proud of it. I think it's just there. That's That's a superhero movie that isn't necessarily... One you would say would take place in the golden era we currently live in. That yeah. could be a mid two thousand superhero movie. Maybe I'm leaning too much into the past mistakes of the DCEU, but I feel like I enjoyed that that film was very much its own thing and it set up its own future villain and it set up its own future mythos. Yes, I can't detach Zatanna from the Justice League Dark. And that right. is my own failing. But part of me is like, oh, we could just squeeze John Constantine in there. Or like, oh, what if we had a hint of Dr. Fate or Dead Man at the end? I'm like, I need to rein that back in because I don't think that's going to be conducive to your pitch. Well, no, I think there's, there's, there's definitely room for that. OK, let's say well, we're doing surgery anyway. Let's put John Constantine in there. <laughs> We've only got a minute of surgery time, but let's go. <laughs> oh, we had 20 minutes. Yep. <laughs> it took me. Tw- what? Yep. Holy shit. Okay, uh, real quick, uh, we can put John Constantine in there and he can be like kind of the person who's dropping these conspiracy theories on. So you start hinting at earlier that, that maybe Giovanni's and all he's cracked up to be. And you can maybe put a bit of romance in there between both him and Nick and him and Zaytana and kind of drive in there. And then you have him as kind of the Nick Fury of the situation to drive towards a Justice League dark movie. Oh, yeah, that's, that's got to be Constantine's role as, yeah, as the Fury for that team, 100%. Well, because he kind of did that a little bit in... When they added him into the Arrowverse after Constantine got cancelled, that was kind of his deal. He would, like, recruit people to his missions. Yeah. So I think that would be a good place to put him. I just wasn't sure whether to hold him off for the sequel or not. So Is it a big a bit big Hero 6? Because I know we've got, we've got Zatara as the villain, which I really like, and I don't think we've had a father-daughter relationship explored that way in films before would it be too big hero six to actually make him mr e full stop well i mean maybe because i mean we are kind of screwing with the situation it's just they'd have to face each other at some point in those big battles of like him her failing to do it but he is a magician he can probably do shape-shifting yeah or or maybe like mr e is a construct or something like that i think i think just it would be it would be really cool to me to like the entire film zatanna thinks she's going on this quest to end something but finds out that all roads lead to her father i think that'd be really that could work yeah you could could still have you can still have various but he's just yeah he's a construct as opposed to a real person he was the puppet that zatara was using to kind of you know, tease out this power out of Zatanna that he thought she had, then he switched to Nick. And yeah, no, that can make that can work. You could also put a question mark over the well, you kind of did with like because she, she got to talk to her mom through the white flame. So, mm. like, because in the comics, she's dead. Is that right? 
yeah, she's she's dead in the um, in the comics. She doesn't really play much of a much of a role, I don't think. Basically, this is actually something from Subnautica, which is a game I, I, we mentioned in a Games of Lockdown uh, episode, which you can go and listen to, um, where it's kind of spoilers for the end of Subnautica, but something that is on the planet with you starts talking to you basically through psychic vision. They happen at random intervals, and it will just appear as like a... It's actually like a black thing that appears in front of you with just two glowing eyes, and you don't really get a sense of what it is, and it just starts speaking to you. And it's very mysterious. And I thought that might be a good concept to show, like, there's there's more to this than just, like, the, the magician's type of thing is actually a front for much deeper arcane magic stuff that's going on. Mm. You dress it up with the magician stuff because that gives it some visual identity. There's a lot of fun to have there with kind of... You wouldn't be doing big, trippy visuals like you did with Doctor Strange. I want to drive away from that. This would be more light-hearted. But, I mean, there's still, you know lots of lighthearted stuff like Deadpool and stuff have shown there's good scope for comedy superhero stuff or at least funny fun stuff you can do with that you don't need to make it all head trippy you know what I mean but it's a front because there's deeper magic going on here that she kind of can delve more into in the sequels mm. yeah I think you got that right oh. there okay I'm glad that's out there because that was two months worth of frustration just <laughs> dumped just gone with it um so i i am happy to move on yet yeah, i think as in terms of surgery yeah i like the idea about making mystery and giovanni one of the same john constantine being added in as kind of a, a thread to then thread through other movies uh like a swamp thing movie like uh, a dead man movie etc etc to drive towards just leave dark i like that as well happy with that let's keep that in yeah cool awesome uh wow that was that was quick let's uh let's move on shall we let's see if we can doctor because I, I feel yours is a bit more fleshed out than mine uh but let's see how we go so i went marvel as so obviously this is going to be set in the mcu um and it's going to also like like how you kind of took your mothman casting as canon uh for your dceu movie i'm taking a couple of my previous pitches as canon for two members of the cast one member of the cast one member of the cast um as kind of a lead-in to introduce some of the characters for future movies so um i chose dazzler i think we can do a dazzler movie um i don't think she got used enough um in the uh dark phoenix movie there was that one scene where she's singing on a hill and that was it um so we're going to do some more with that the isp of the film will be that it's a musical wow okay yeah so it's gonna flip back and forth between the set between the songs being like diegetic and non-diegetic so there's going to be a lot of strong performances which is why i had to cast alison blair dazzler um as taylor momsen from the pretty reckless wow okay lock she's she's only she's 26 years old you could lock her into multiple movies she would sort of exude a different kind of attitude for the heroes and obviously the the marvel movie soundtracks have been like charting so let's do some original music and let's let's chart it that's my oh, thinking lovely okay right okay do you want to put 20 minutes on the clock uh i do uh let's whack that on 20 uh yep go for it 
Right, okay. So the film opens in New York in 1990, where you meet Catherine, who is Alison's mom, who's being played by Rosamund Pike. She is um, a free-spirited performer. She's performing as the Disco Dazzler in the original costume. This is where she meets Carter Blair, who is Alison Blair's dad. Uh, He's being played by Bern Gorman. You might know him as Owen from Torchwood, amongst other things. He was in the um, Pacific Rim films as well, who is an aspiring lawyer. Uh, They hit it off, and in an up-like sequence, we see a montage of a a five-year relationship that covers them dating, getting married, moving in together, moving out to Greendale, Long Island, and giving birth to their daughter, Alison, around 1995. That's when the montage kind of comes to a crescendo and then spirals down to show the cracks starting to form in that relationship. That leads to Catherine and Carter's divorce, and Catherine walks out on Carter and Alison sort of just before the millennium. Uh, We would then cut forward to 2009 to see a teenage Alison uh, at 14 years old who's going to be performing at her junior high school prom. When she does so, this is when her mutant powers start to manifest and she is able to turn the sound vibrations around her into a light show. Whilst this initially starts to impress people around her, she's actually victimised by some bullies in the school which cause her to lose control of those powers and a lot of the people at that dance are blinded. Uh, in the aftermath of that, her dad, who is now a judge, is able to use his higher strings up in sort of the local government to cover it up. But this causes a definite rift between the two people, um, between Alison and her father, and leads to Alison to start repressing her powers. Um, another sequence would show us moving through time where Alison starts to get back into music as she has that kind of question of what would it be like if mom was still here um, as she continues to train to be a lawyer like her father because her dad can get her into any grad school she wants so long as she gets to the other side of university um, flash forward to 2018 oh, it's actually going to be 2017 or 2018 it's pre-snap all of this happens pre-snap mm-hmm. um, where Alison graduates from college but directly after the ceremony she tells her father that she's not going to the grad school that she, that he has already gotten her a place to she's going to pursue singing this leads to a heated argument uh, where Alison reveals she's actually going to New York uh, again to go and find her mum this is when Carter and Alison part ways. There's some really bad blood between them. He disowns her and she leaves to go back to the city. So she moves to New York and this is where she starts living on like ba- barely a pittance. She's getting money sent from her grandma, Bella, who I've not cast because she's not that important so that she can afford to live in a shitty apartment until she starts to get some money coming in. Uh, when she's at this shitty apartment, she actually is the victim of a break-in uh, in like a crime-ridden area of New York. As the thugs break in to try and steal her shit, they break a window and she's able to use that noise to basically convert it into a light beam to fight them off. Um, you get a little bit of a comedic sequence where nobody in the block gives a shit. Like she's just fought somebody off by literally firing laser beams out of her hand, but nobody wants to know because it's New York and you keep yourself to yourself. Directly after this, she goes to call her dad, but she, she realizes that he's not going to be there. And now she's kind of starting to embrace her more creative side she can solve some problems alone. So she finally works up the courage and through some Facebook searching, she's found out that her mum has remarried. She's now Catherine London. 
she tracks down where she lives through some mutual friends and goes to reintroduce herself to a mum who shuts the door in her face and tells her to leave. Um, she, she does this a couple of times until um, the new husband, Nicholas London, who's being played by Leslie Odom Jr., uh, actually welcomes Alison into the house despite what Catherine is saying. You're also introduced to Lois London, who is their adoptive daughter, who's being played by Natalia Dyer from Stranger Things. Um, there is a tension developing between Alison and this whole new family. Her mum seems really desperate for her to leave, whilst the adoptive dad is trying to embrace this new member of the family. And there is a little bit of tension between uh, Alison and Lois. Uh, Lois has come through the foster care system and is naturally not trusting of many people the only person that she does trust completely is her adoptive father so there's little cracks forming there already um allison invites her mum to uh, a gig that she'll be doing downtown uh, but when it comes to doing that she actually doesn't show up what does happen though is she's able to sort of channel her rage into a creative light show which gets some buzz forming on the underground music circuit which leads to her getting representation as a manager from harriet osgood who is a gender flip version of harvey osgood um, who i've got being played by olivia thirlby uh, she was um she was anderson in the dread movie if you remember that yeah, yeah. um basically harriet osgood is has no acts is a clueless manager but sees something in Alison and asks about the light show and how she's doing it. She tries to throw her off people off the center, say it's actually a technical secret. It's something that I've developed. Um, if you buy me, you buy the act basically. Um, she's also approached one night after performing, uh, by a bald man in a wheelchair. I'm sure you know what's going on here, Darren. Uh, so obviously she, um, is approached by Charles Xavier being played by Mark strong as per my other pitches. And sort of asked, when did you become a mutant? And obviously, Alison has never heard this term before. She admits to having an ability since Xavier can get inside her head. But they're joined at a table by um, a very glamorous older woman in a white dress who says, whatever offer that man can give you, I can improve on it. This is Emma Frost being played by Charlize Theron. Ooh. Yes. So so you've got this kind of stru power struggle between the two. Charles Xavier representing the um, Xavier School for Gifted Children and Emma Frost representing the Hellfire Club. Um, the gig goes ahead, but whilst Dazzler kind of puts both of them off, saying, I'm not interested, I have representation, whereas Charles Xavier respects that and actually just keeps coming to the concerts in order to give her support... Emma Frost goes the other way and goes, well, I'm just, I'll just take you by force then. The, the Hellfire Club attack one of the gigs where Dazzler uses her powers to save herself and other people being hassled in the crowd. Clips of this start to go viral online and Dazzler becomes an underground viral hit. Not only is she being lauded as kind of a new wave of superhero, but her songs are charting. Money starts coming in from a mysterious benefactor, Harriet reveals to Alison, saying that we can now get into the studio and we can start doing an album. We can take you on a press tour. We can get the word of Dazzler out. Um, a meeting later on actually reveals that the benefactor is the Hellfire Club itself. Uh, and two people have been kind of like 
steadily having influence over Alison's life from the background. Emma Frost and Nicholas London, the the mum's new boy, well, mum's new husband is a high-ranking member of the Hellfire Club. It's Hellfire Club money and that influence and that control that enticed her mum in in the first place. So her her mum kind of knows that the Hellfire Club stuff is going on and is trying to shield Alison from it by saying, you can't be around me, you have to leave. But Alison is so determined to reconnect with her mother, she's fallen into the exact same trap she did 20 years ago. Um, she's then taken to a high-ranking um, sort of board meeting with members of the Hellfire Club and forced into a combat trial. She manages to escape. This is Dazzler, by the way. She manages to escape, uh, but unfortunately goes into hiding, knowing now that her new femme fame isn't going to help her whatsoever. We get a scene where the mum finally does try to reconnect that um, that relationship with her daughter, saying leaving was leaving was the biggest mistake i didn't know i was going from one bad situation to another and i was determined not to bring you into it but we're two alike essentially you followed me here you followed me into this situation i'm not going to allow you to become another victim another pawn of this depraved society um she explains that she'll do whatever she can to help her get out of the hellfire club's influence but they have to work together so what happens is is that planning a large concert towards the end um and because she's kind of disappeared like dropped off all social media people are wondering did what happened to the dazzler um she's staging a comeback show this is where the hellfire club are going to be targeting not allison but Catherine, hoping to remove that last sort of like thread of escape for the dazzler so that she becomes a pawn of the hellfire club so Dazzler and her mum actually work together to swap roles with the um, with the father. So this, I'm not sure how this is, would happen, but this is where we're going to go into the script doctrine for that. But whilst there is a giant concert happening with Dazzler, and they know that the Hellfire Club are coming to attack, and they've prepared, um, the mum is at the concert instead of the new husband, uh, and the husband is now actually with the adoptive daughter. What happens is that that was a car that was going to be sort of signaled for assassination and they end up killing the um, the new husband. They, they kill Nicholas London in sort of like a friendly fire situation. You've got a really good, in my head, I've got a really good kind of dichotomy between a heroic battle in, a, in like a stadium concert versus um, Lois London cradling her adoptive father the one person she trusted's body because she, he's been killed by the very club who actually he served obviously um emma frost takes on um dazzler in the final fight and obviously she loses she's obviously not killed because we need emma frost for future movies um and there is a big reconciliation with the mom at the end um dazzler embraces her stardom but doesn't necessarily embrace the offers to be a hero a mid-credit scene would show that xavier is still leaving calls on allison's phone with offers to join his school for gifted children but she hangs up on them and goes off to do cool uh, pop star things the post-credit scene would show a sort of mentally scarred and broken lois london blaming dazzler for the death of her adoptive father and the one beacon she had in the world which leads her to use his hellfire club um 
contacts to meet a character called Celine, who is able to awaken the mutant gene inside Lois London to turn her into Mortis, um, which is you would see a shot of her sort of like grabbing like a potted plant and it immediately wilting and dying. So Mortis's power is that anything she touches, she kills. And she is then set up as the uh, villain for the sequel on a hell-bent mission to kill, kill Dazzler for killing her father, in, even if so indirectly. Um, that means you've set up the links for the X-Men to come in later on down the line. It means you've set up the, the mutant thing in kind of like just a one-character situation rather than trying to invent them as a full team or a full race. Uh, and I just like Dazzler. And I think this being a musical could add a different edge to everything. It's kind of taking the... Um, the Guardians of the Galaxy of setting everything to music trend and going to its logical conclusion whilst having an interesting mother-daughter dynamic, which I don't think we've had yet. That was my idea. Let's let's hash out those those other bits, shall we? Well, what were you so worried about? That's really good. Oh, well, really? <laughs> yeah, like well, because it's got the thing. This is gonna this might sound like a bit of a backhanded compliment. But bear with me. So. The, the, the one of the several problems the MCU is going to deal with coming out to the back of, of Endgame is de-escalation because not every film can have those stakes and I, I'm worried that you know, audiences you know, they've had that cake will want that cake again and every movie that isn't set on the same stakes as Endgame they might be a bit like Sneh. like we saw this a bit of the reaction towards Ant-Man and the Wasp of like people came out of uh, Infinity War and then they had Ant-Man and the Wasp and it was a bit like, well, yeah, but we've just had all this big stuff go on. Yeah. They're going to have to find a way to make it more like the first Ant-Man, which was a de-escalation after the Avengers, but well, Age of Ultron, but people didn't seem to mind because it was a very good film. I'm not saying Ant-Man and the Wasp isn't a very good film, but it's not as good as the first one. No, it's not. That's what I like about this film is it's, it's, it's a much more personal story, but because of the nuance of the musical, I think that makes it, you know, it's a different genre. It's something completely dis disjointed. But if you're just good enough acting and a good enough story, people will like it. And I think it, it plays well in the post-endgame post universe just because of that de-escalation. So I really liked it. I think there might actually be a way to uh, not legitimize, what's the word? To, to kind of naturalise the musical elements of it, is you could just make that an extension of her mutant power. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, have it... that's something I thought about, but I was like, is that too trite? I don't know. Well, I don't, because you didn't write any of the, the actual musical sequences in there. I don't know how far you'd need that to to go, because that's the problem. It, it, because if it's... Everything in the Marvel Universe that's like of a heightened reality has background. I think if you want to put proper musical numbers into there you'd have to find a way to 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 normalize that yeah and i think you could either give that to dazzler or you could give it to what was the the, the lady from dread's name Let, oh um harriet osgood you could give it to her so they only appear when that character is around like the manager is the one that kind of sees the music in things yeah Exactly. So you could have that be like part of her thing. So it only happens when she's around. So if then Dazzler goes off to do team up movies, the reason everyone's not breaking into musicals is because the character that can do that isn't there. Ah. And you have it be like you can either have it be like she has visions of the musical 
and she kind of sees it like that or it's more of an actual like almost like a psychic level ability Mm. Uh, she's just people in her presence are just encouraged to be more theatrical and musical and dancey i think then that gives it the visual identity i think the movie needs to be its own deal yeah yeah the the that is that's a really good way of contextualizing the music i was just going to say well it's a musical (laughs) and maybe that's not enough the thing that i've really struggled with and the bit that i wanted to doctor was what the the ramp up to a fight looks like in this film yeah because because i thought i basically said i wanted to make a film that was different in terms of its genre so we picked a musical and different in terms of its the relationship of its main characters and i knew we didn't have mother mother daughter whatsoever so i was like i'm doing that i didn't know that dazzler had this kind of i mean in the comic books her mum ends up like with an abusive boyfriend and it's just solved really quickly i'm like no no that's not good enough no there there needs to be a reason to kind of well i wanted to redeem the mum because yeah. the mum just walked out and I think it's just it would be shit to just have the mum be a terrible person for no reason. Yeah. So I was like, okay, we're going to redeem the mum and we're going to not go as simple as it's an abusive boyfriend. And then the Hellfire Club is actually a villain in like the second issue of the right. original Dazzler run from the 70s. And I'm like, okay, we can use the Hellfire Club. But that they're insidious and that doesn't lend to action and i was like okay i know that there's going to be a big stadium fight at the end with like lasers and cool shit and emma frost turning into a diamond monster and all that but how do we get there how do you ramp up to that that's why i was like okay she gets kidnapped and tried to be indoctrinated into a cult in a combat trial but i didn't know whether that was good enough i felt that was a bit sort of like we need a (laughs) it's like that bit from uh, basketball where you need that bit in the car where the song's beating like oh everyone's yeah. trying to blackmail you and your girlfriend thinks you suck and all that yeah uh-huh i get it i hmm no i i i see your problem but i too don't see a way out of it it's like <laughs> i like the stadium idea but the way you kind of so i got use they're, they're kind of using it as bait to draw out the hellfire club yeah but that then implies they're putting thousands of people's lives at risk, you know, to draw out the Hellfire Club, knowing it's going to escalate. Yeah. Oh fuck! Sorry. I've, there was another bit from the um, the mid credits scene that I forgot to leave out. Her, um, she, she's going through a bunch of her uh, uh, her voicemail, and one of them is Peter Parker trying to get an autograph. That that was just oh, a little not... neat, like a thing of like he he's not interested in her as a hero. He just really likes her music. <laughs> I just thought that'd be really funny. That's anyway, nice. carry on. So there is a there is a way in X Men law of getting around having a situation where you've put thousands of innocent lives at risk. If they've got to stage that concert to make it look real, you might need to use multiple man. Oh no, that's a thing, isn't it? And that could be how Xavier comes into that. Yeah. Um, into that final battle, it's like okay, you know, you may not want my help, but you mm-hmm. do need it. And then it's like, I know some people who can help you out yeah. with your like, Emma Frost yeah. problem. Oh, that's good, Darren. If you don't want to use, you know, the X-Men to the fullest extent and have the Blackbird and Wolverine and all that shit jumping out, but you what you would like some help from us, we know a person who can be very useful to us, who could stage a concert of that level without making it seem like Dazzler's well okay with putting 20,000 people in the firing line, as it's just multiple man. 
and you have Jamie Maddox be that person. And then, you know, because that's, that's in the way you've got to, they're going to have to, if they're not going to do the X-Men as the X-Men, because I'm really worried they're not going to literally call them the X-Men for a while. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we live in a post-PC world, men, it's not a deal. So I think they might partition them off into like, especially because the new comics are doing that, of like partitioning them off into the different separate factions of the X-Men. Yeah. And then potentially bringing them all together for one X-Men movie out of the Avengers. You've got a part. You can then cherry pick which mutants you want to put into these newer franchises. And I think multiple man is not someone who would be missed in like, or would have a really big part to play in the bigger Marvel movies. But you can put him as part of Dazzler's, you know, world. That's fucking brilliant. That's great. Like, not only is it that they they have the comeback show, but it's entirely fabricated to be yeah. th- this stadium is our back. That's fucking good. Yeah, that's you really can even good. Do it as you, you, they they have that concert of like being because you've got to find a way of how they would advertise it but then prevent people from coming you would just have it as oh, how would you get rid of that problem well just t- tickets sold out straight away you oh, know that's it yeah it's, it's like the yeah. mcr comeback show tickets were impossible to get yeah so you could have lots of people outside the stadium because obviously people would try and get taped in that but everyone inside the stadium is is multiple man multiple man it was a great deus ex machina to get you out of this situation and then you have the ability to kind of cherry pick the mutants you want from the fucking 400 odd like name mutants that have had a prominent role in the comics at some point yeah you can just pick them to suit the story multiple man's a great explanation of that you can have you can have the if we're actually going down the musical ones i'm sure there's ones that would be great for a musical yeah. Nightcore night in a musical just seems like a great thing. Holding the microphone with his tail just seems like the <laughs> logical way to go. So that's I was thinking, my contribution. I was, I was thinking you could have Jubilee in there, but then I scrapped oh, that idea. No, no, that's 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 who you add to the sequel. You've got to justice for Jubilee needs to happen because we've tried so many times to get her in there, and it's just not worked. But that's what I mean. If you break up the X Men into its component parts. You want build anticipation for the inevitable X-Men movie they're going to do, which will just be gangbusters, especially if they're going to do, as I think, I don't think they will do, and it'll just be a case of, like, um, like the Weekly Planet said, of, oh, they're, they're enemies for a bit, and then they're mates. If you want to build towards Avengers versus X-Men, that's fine. But if you then break it up into them components, you can have deeper pulls from the mutant things and give them actual things to do, because... Obviously, if in the in the movie, if they're in a normal X Men movie, there's so many mutants, there's so little scream time to share range, you can't get to everybody. This is the perfect place for someone like a Jubilee. Now that they're not under the bright lights of Wolverine, Storm, and Beast and shit, you can give her more time to be an actual character. So I think maybe not in this movie, but definitely as someone to add into a into a sequel. Depends how they're going to tackle mutants. If they want to normalize them, this would be a great way to do it. You put together a touring band of of mutants jubilees in there dazzers in there um multiple man can be the security detail in the sequel yeah multiple man can be that there's potential love interest there if you want to go down that route which then which which then puts enough lower tier x-men together as a team for the sequel because then you've got celine who like basically gives people powers who wait powers in people and then you've got the 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 personal vendetta with the lois london you're like, yeah, okay, we're gonna, we are gonna be able to contextualize a team fight for the sequel. Perfect. But yeah, I'm absolutely behind putting. Oh, and Longshot. I think you'd have to put Longshot in the sequel because that's the one who she marries later on. Ah, right. Okay. See, just a little bit of two heads pointing together, and we've got two serviceable 
super women pitches out of this. Yeah, but which superwoman do you want to super see on the super screen? Is it, uh, <laughs> I can't believe I said that out loud, is it uh, Darren's idea with Zaytana that we've doctored into more of a sort of setting up for a bit of Justice League Dark, but also giving her that uh, individual identity uh, with the, oh God, what's it called? The, the Homo Magi? I forgot the name of the... Uh, the Homo Magi, yeah. Yeah. Or do you want to see the Dazzlers musical MCU thing that has, uh, you know, colours and singing and bright lights and cool people that leads into an X-Men offshoot franchise later on down the line. Please let us know which one you think won in the comments on SoundCloud, also on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram under the username FowleyNT. That's F-O-U-L-E-N-T. You can go and find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at ThatByCohen to tell me that my Dazzler idea was the best. Or you can go and find Darren on Twitter and Instagram under the name at the Guttridge to go and tell him that his Zaytana idea was the best. Oh, there we go. That's another one off the list done. Fantastic. I mean, it didn't seem uh, we shouldn't really frame these as like, oh, God, we've got enough of a pitch episode. But the, it's but just, the thing is, we had to do the doctoring session because this one was just not coming together. Was not. I, I feel like we've got other things on the back burner that are actually taking shape. And this one was we wouldn't be able to do it justice by us and us alone. It was a problem child of a pitch, one that felt very thematic and what we wanted to do, because, I mean, good God, there needs to be more, um, you know, well. Anything other than white male-fronted superhero movies, there needs to be more of those. So anyway, we can add to that conversation is great. But yeah, it's just and the problem is we also haven't had an influx of new media into our lives because everything's on fucking hold. I mean, we've even got to the point that Coronation Street is having to end because they haven't been able to record any new episodes. So <laughs> even the soaps are running out. So oh god, it's just it's all wrong. So we haven't had. I think. In a normal year, we've seen so many more movies and TV shows and taking it all in. I think we might have actually had, you know, more momentum to put out a, a pitch like this when we were struggling because we might have seen something that would give us an idea. That just hasn't happened. So, but I'm glad it's out there. We've got many more pitches in the line. Uh, if you've got a chance, we have just recorded our episode uh, looking at all the stuff we have been watching during lockdown that we have managed to take in during this pandemic. <laughs> we just want things to talk about else we'll be here going mad trying to <laughs> live inside our own heads because the rest of the world outside is on fire and dreadful pitch the next fifa game look forward to that <laughs> pitch the pitch the next apocalypse is what we're going to be ending up with <laughs> jesus christ oh and on that bombshell bye everybody bye, bye.